I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Welcome to Sick Boy, a podcast where we talk about what it's like to be sick. Today's guest is Keith. He lives with persistent pain. Let's talk about it. All right. Well, um, we are sitting down with Keith Meldrum all the way from Kelowna. And uh, this is, uh, is going to be kind of a fun conversation because, Taylor, you and I recently had the honor of um, being a part of the Pain BC, um, you know, patient-focused conference. Uh, I don't think, I, I think we're going to be putting that episode out. It's not out yet as of recording this. Um, and I think actually it's going to be coming out after we release this episode, a little bit of a weird time thing with oh. podcasting. Um, but, uh, it was an amazing conversation. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I know that, uh, over the span of doing this podcast, we've talked about pain management, you know, sort of like peripherally. Mm-hmm. Um, but like the, the conversation surrounding like ch- chronic pain isn't really something we've dived into a whole lot in comparison to a lot of other things that we've touched on on the podcast over the years um huh. but uh the pain bc conference awesome time and uh and through that we we were uh, put in touch with keith um who's joining us today to also talk about persistent pain uh keith's a civil engineer technologist and a persistent pain advocate mm-hmm. and uh keith i want to first off say thank you for joining us today um secondly just take a moment to introduce yourself and and uh and maybe give us a little bit of insight into your life uh managing persistent pain well thanks guys i appreciate that uh like you said i'm uh, i'm here in Kelowna, british columbia i've been here about uh, 11 years we're originally from the middle of bc a place called prince george um and yeah in my my day-to-day life i'm a civil engineer technologist i work as a vice president for a heavy civil construction company uh, but uh, when i'm not doing that i focus a lot of my time on uh, advocacy for persistent pain and just as a little bit of a backstory to it, and not to bore everybody too much, but it's uh, pain. Um, I, I live with uh, chronic or persistent neuropathic pain um, as a result of a uh, terribly dumb decision made as a 16-year-old. I had a, a near-fatal car accident when I was 16. Um, found out the hard way that if you uh, tell your parents you're not going to go drinking with your friends, and then you do, oh, no. and, you don't, and you don't get any sleep, um, or you get less than two hours sleep when you drive your car on a rural highway in British Columbia heading back to town because you have to go to your job at McDonald's in the morning for your open shift. Oh, no. You will fall asleep, sound asleep behind the wheel. Oh, um, my goodness, Keith. And then pitch your car uh, down on um, sort of an elevated bank, we call it a super elevated bank on a highway, and you will roll your car down the bank and you will nearly kill yourself. Holy so, shit, Keith. Um, lesson learned, uh, don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> just don't. Um, so what happened? I was alone and it was an older car and I was just wearing the lap belt cause an old 72 duster. And, 
and I didn't have the shoulder restraint on because they were separate. But and the lap belt kept me in the car, but the action of the car rolling down the belt was over my abdominal wall and on my hips because I had fallen asleep. And and it kind of literally sort of like ripped me apart inside oh. internally. Oh my god. Um, yeah, not one of my better moves, um, for sure. And uh, I was fortunate the car accident was witnessed. Um, otherwise, you couldn't see the car at the bottom right, of the bank. Right, wow. Yeah. Um, so long story short, I saw it. They were able to call an ambulance. Uh, back in those days, cell phones didn't exist. So the people who saw it waved down the next vehicle, which was a, a railway crew who had a radio. And anyway, on and on oh, and on. Shit. I wind up in the hospital in Prince George and have my first of what's turned out to be 20 plus surgeries as they start to piece me back together. And uh, throughout those surgeries, as they were fixing everything biomechanically, because I had just torn all this trauma and they had to put things in and take things out. I always had, it still hurt. And I'm young. I was 16 when I had the accident. And in the first three years, I probably had five or six surgeries. And it, it just hurt. I had this left side abdominal flank hip pain. Um, and they kept trying to fix it. And back then, uh, not understanding the complexities of the persistent pain, they're like, we got to get in there and open you up and figure out what we've missed. And right. um, so after a while, they fixed everything that's broken. And my family doctor, I'm about 19 at this point, and I'm in his office, kissing and moaning about how much it still hurts. And uh, he says to me, um, you know, the surgeons have fixed everything they can. This is all in your head whoa man (laughs) okay now i think i'm nuts right um uh so fast forward all these years and some things that i've learned uh what we're understanding now is that persistent pain is this extremely complex relationship between our our biomechanical systems our emotions our psychology and sometimes pain just persists and that's why one in five people at least in Canada, live with persistent pain. Because even though you might have fixed everything, or sometimes they can't pinpoint the underlying pathology, that pain is real. And it's yeah. every single day. Yeah. I, I, like, I, like I just, I, one of the things, I, I, first of all, I have a thousand things that I want to fucking dive into because that is a, that's a radical story. Um, and also very, like, I have a few, I have, a, uh, I know at least three people that have done the same thing, like has, right? you know, late night party, yep. drank all night, had a yep. f- couple hours sleep, woke up early in the morning to drive home yeah. and fall asleep at the wheel. I mean, I got to say, like, I've it's been, I've been no, in a car, dr- you know, I, I drive, I've, I've driven quite a lot over the span of my life. And there've been a number of times when I'm driving and I can feel my eyes being heavy mm-hmm. and like, it's a scary, it's scary. Oh, definitely. And, 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 uh, for anybody who's like, Anybody who ever has that feeling, just putting this out as like a PSA. If you're ever driving, <laughs> yes. and especially like a long distance, and you start to feel tired, yeah. there is absolutely nothing wrong with pulling off the highway onto a fucking yeah. exit ramp, jacking your car seat down, taking and taking, a, taking a 20, yeah, yeah take some <laughs> yeah. nap, <laughs> right? shoot up, <laughs> yeah. take, take a 20 minute nap, just take a fucking oh, nap, shit. like, yeah, it, yeah. it, it literally yeah. will, you know, it, it can save yeah. lives yeah. and, and yeah. it can save, you're hearing it here, it can yeah. save a lot of like tra- trauma, you know, it's, it's very, yeah. it's very, very common. It's, it's an impairment. Like you say, you can put 10 people in a room and eight of them will tell you they've done it or almost done it. Yeah. So, yeah. I, one thing that I, that I also kind of want to just touch on and, and, Mm -hmm. and I I would like to kind of break down more this, this, uh, 
this kind of conversation about like how persistent pain is not just like not just biomedical, not just mm-hmm. biomechanical, but it's also you know psychosocial. Mm-hmm. Um, the 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 part about you know hearing for the first time from a physician that like well this pain is is all in your head. Mm-hmm. Um, there's something about that that just feels like like let's say let's say that is that statement is a hundred percent true. It's just in your head. Mm-hmm. Now, what are we going to do about it? Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Because even yeah. if, even if yeah. it is, even if it is just in your head, it's still there. Yeah. Like it's still yeah. pain. So, like, there's something about hearing that that makes me feel like when someone, he- well, like if someone, like me, no, I, I, I didn't hear the doctor say it to me. I'm hearing you, t- Keith, tell me that a doctor told you, and mm-hmm. I have a feeling that when some people hear that, yeah, they almost. They, they, they have this weird like mental fuckery in their head that makes them go, oh, so it's fake. It's yeah. not real pain. It's not actually there. Yeah. And so almost like, like it, it almost um, it almost like invalidates your your pain to a degree where like it's like you're you're faking it or like and you, I would imagine like, you can just get over it if you just fucking rewire the way you're thinking about it. But and I would imagine that's that that's the probably the way that's probably the context in which the doctor is saying it. Mm. Mostly like a general physician who's not a psychologist or a psychiatrist. They're probably they're like especially back in the you know back in the what like we're talking like early eighties. 90s or yeah, late, late, late 80s. 80s. Late I'm 80s. old guys. Yeah. I'm old. Like, <laughs> like, I, like when they when when the doctor says it's in your head is yeah. there is there a is there a follow-up conversation of this is in your head let's try and find out why it's in your head because the feelings are obvious the feeling is real but maybe the maybe the it, it's not phys- maybe it's not physical but it's happening you're mm-hmm. experiencing it is the doctor saying it in this conversation of like just 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 don't let it be in your head anymore or is there a conversation of let's i think it's in your head let's try and figure out why yeah so i'll I'll break us down a little bit so in 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 the in the late 80s and 90s even today i would say uh definitely back then that conversation was uh keith this you know the doctors you know surgeons have fixed everything they can it's all in your head it was 100 percent saying i was making it up right it was it was um psychosomatic and as a 19-year-old who had just about killed himself, had been cut open probably about five times at that point, I was so fucked up because I'm like, why would I make this up? But why does it hurt? Like, why do I find myself having these pain flare-ups where I can't see anything straight? I have to go into the emergency room, have these terrible interactions with doctors who think you're making it up and looking for drugs. Oh. Like, why would I keep doing this to myself? But he's told me everything's been fixed. Because back then. I thought I just needed to find the right doctor to fix it. Like they just hadn't fixed it. So in the eighties and the nineties, that conversation when a doctor said it's all in your head was not talking about the biopsychosocial model. They're like, there's nothing wrong with you patient. You're making it up. Mm-hmm. You're, you're drug seeking, you're attention seeking. Yeah. I'm invalidating this. I'm dismissing it. It's gotten a little better, but in 2022 and 2023, those conversations still take place with people where they're yes. dismissed and told it's not real. Yes we're seeing a shift of doctors who are saying we have fixed everything that we can find biomedically, uh, but your pain is real. So let's have a conversation about what we can do to help you manage that pain. Cause all pain is biological, right? Your emotions and your psychology affect your biological system. Pain is a sympathetic nervous system response. So it's all biological. It's just trying to figure out what is causing it. 
and then what you can do to help manage it. And mm-hmm. when when you work with a physician or a healthcare provider of any kind who validates that, who says your pain is real, like we can't, I'm not going to open you up anymore. Because if I cut you open, I'm just going to get worse. Um, you know, Meldrum, we put all your guts back together. We put the pieces of these, we've added pieces to to make you live, but you still have pain. So what can we do to help you live better with your pain? That is a completely different conversation than it's just in your head. Mm-hmm. It, is it is <clears throat> even though the conver- even though it's shifted today, is it? Is there, do you get the sense that, that there is like relative to something like cancer where you can go, okay, we know what type of cancer you have and we have, you know, uh, X, Y, Z treatment options to try and tackle it and get rid of it. Is it relative to that pain seems to be much more cloudy, um, Uh and not, not nearly as well understood. Is there, is it, uh, sometimes a case of of not having the right, not having the right, uh, healthcare provider, doctor, or whoever it is that feels like they have the capacity to go down this murky road that, you know, like I, 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 um, uh, an ER, I have a good friend of mine who's an ER doctor. He said something along the lines of like, you know, general physicians know, you know, a lot about nothing and, you know, and then, like he he and then he goes down the line of like all the different types of doctors and then you get you know you know a ton about you you know and you know absolutely everything about one thing and goes mm-hmm. down like the kind of the specialities of doctors and how they they get narrower and narrower but like that a, a physician like a general physician is just maybe like just wants to like kind of kick the can down the line yep. to the next person that might not know that might know is equally as little as as the first person hot take hey hot take holy shit here we go (laughs) yeah all the physicians listening right now they're just like i can i can read the emails coming through yeah well and 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 that's i I would offer uh that's very very valid but the our our family physicians uh i would suggest are are the one of probably the most important part of our healthcare system because that's who we see every time we have a cut finger or a cold we got a pain we can't figure out um so we back this up a little bit and we say in Canada, and this is kind of true throughout the world, in Canada, in medical schools, whether you take family medicine or anything else, they get sweet FA for training and education in persistent pain. Some schools give eight hours, some give 20, but they give basically nothing. So you're right. They're met with this true ignorance of, I don't know what the hell's going on. So let me just move this on because I've got 40 other patients I need to see today and I, I don't get this. If we start to inform and educate a little bit more about what this is, I think that initial interaction, instead of being dismissive of it's all in your head, that can be the healthcare provider who says, you know, this is real and we need to try and figure out what we can do to help you. Then maybe move you on to the right person. Mm -hmm. But when they just kick you down the road, that adds to a person's continued um, stigma and this isn't real because they're just trying to get rid of me and move me to the next person. And a lot of it is founded in ignorance to the healthcare system because mm. you can't really image persistent pain. You know, you can do MRIs and CTs and sometimes people have bulging discs and they have no pain. And sometimes they don't have a bulging disc and they're in extreme pain. So it doesn't, medicine is not a science. It's mostly art half the time. You know, I'm, mm. I have an engineering background. My whole professional career is look at things, study them. And if you get it wrong, uh, the road will collapse and the bridge will fall down. We don't really get much sort of 
artistic interpretation into mm. the engineering. In medicine, it's a lot of, you know, unless it's a broken arm where you see the bone sticking out, uh, you know, sometimes it could be this, it could be that. How you deal with it is different than I am. We need to get away from this sort of focused, narrow lens of, you know, yeah. biomedical and if I can see it, I can treat it. And if I can't, there's nothing wrong with it. Yeah, yeah. totally. It seems like, uh, yeah, it's, it seems like, it seems like knowing who that person <laughs> is that you need to see when you have a problem such as, you know, I'm, I've been experiencing this pain. I've, I've, you know, like I've, I've had a bunch of surgeries. I'm, I'm for all intents and purposes, I'm fixed from the trauma that I experienced, yep. like the physical trauma, yes. but I've still got this thing yeah. going on. It seems like that there's a break in knowing who is that logical next person to yeah. see when you come with that problem? I, I'd love yeah. to kind of rewind a little bit just to get just to get a little bit more context um, into like your own personal experience of the pain that you've been going through over the years. So, you know, you go through this this accident. Um, mm-hmm. What like specifically, if if you recall, I know it was a long time ago, but do you remember like specifically what the damage was that happened oh. internally? Um, oh, yeah. Like, you know, what what? What was that damage specifically? What did those surgeries look like? What were the things they were trying to fix that that had the 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 trauma that had happened inside of you? Yeah, yeah, it it was, it was a long time ago. I mean, like I'll I'll be fifty three pretty soon. So my accident was uh, August tenth, nineteen eighty six, about seven a.m. Not, not like it's imprinted on my brain or anything. <laughs> um, and not not to be hyperbolic, uh, but. I mean, I don't remember a lot of things because, first of all, it's been a long time and there was a lot of, you know, in and out of consciousness. But there are certain aspects that I remember that I believe are are like actual events that occurred. Uh, I remember the car rolling down the bank. Uh, the biggest thing is I remember the car stopping and having to extricate myself because it was upside down mm-hmm. and uh, it was hissing and the radio was still playing until the battery fell out because the car was upside down and the piss and gasoline because the you know fuel cap came off. And in my head, I'm like, I got to get away from this car because it's going to blow up. Mm, That's yeah. what happens in the movies. Like, undo my seatbelt. And, and in my mind, I have this sort of cartoon-like memory of like hanging there for a moment, like in a cartoon, and then yeah. down to the ground I go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Crawl, like literally crawl across the dirt, what I think is probably hundreds of meters. I made it to the back bumper of the car. And um, just just in this blinding, and this is where I don't want it to try and sound hyperbolic, but I, I don't, I can't put together the words to describe the pain that I had. And the pain that I had was yeah. in my gut and my back. But I do recall lying there and just I wanted to die. Like I just, like I would love to say I was tough and strong and I'm like, I'm going to make it through it. And um, the, the people who witnessed my accident, they waved down the car, the next vehicle, the railway crew. They had a first aid attendant who, God love him, all he did was he just sat there with me and he's like, you're going to be okay, you're going to be okay. And I'm like, I want to die. And he's like, you know, no, you don't hang in there. I was done. Like I had, yeah. I had no fight in me. I just, I was ready to go. And because I Because the I pain was, was so acute. Like it was so intense that you were like, I just pull the trigger now. Make it go away. Yeah. I, 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 and I knew I was done. Like I could feel like I could just feel going it away because I was pumping most of my blood into my stomach I lost most of my blood volume because I was ripped apart so my abdominal like externally my my skin was intact but internally it tore through all of my abdominal muscles my large and small bowel and into my stomach oh my god Keith and it was just this mess and pumping in there so 
I was lying and I didn't, I didn't see a bright white light. I didn't have grandma call me home. I didn't yeah. have, I was just like, I'm done and let me die now. I just, I want it to be over. Um, so all that to be said, I didn't, obviously. Um, I wake up like three or four days later in the ICU. And I literally remember waking up because I remember when I kind of opened, in addition to all the internal trauma, I smacked myself in the face with the steering wheel of the car. Mm. So I had a broken nose in my two eyes. I couldn't open my eyes for three or four days because they were just all swollen shut. And I wake up, I'm in the ICU. I don't know where I am. I open up one eye and I just remember I had all these tubes in me. I had, I had two tubes in my neck, I had an NG tube, two drainage tubes in my stomach, oh. wired up to everything, alarms going off, beeping. And I'm like, ooh. This probably didn't go so well. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. Um, but the initial surgery was to repair the small, like they didn't put any of my abdominal muscles back together. It was just left apart. They repaired the small bowel and the large bowel they couldn't repair. And I had a temporary cloth to me. Yeah. And yeah. for those who know, that's where they wrote you so your solid waste can go into a bag. Mm -hmm. And they told my parents that the damage to my large bowel was too extensive. They couldn't fix it. But my body, this is interesting. My body would heal itself. And in time, they would reverse that. Whoa. So mm. There's the power of the human body. Wow. Like you, can be, you, can just, you can beat the shit out of it, and then it'll come and fix itself. Yeah. Wow. So, so they did that. But um, so that was my initial surgery. And then later on, I went back in, and they reversed that colostomy. And then I had a number of uh, surgeries following that in short succession for bowel obstructions because I was getting scar tissue across yeah. my bowel. Yeah. And so they had to go in, open me up, clean that out. Um, so that was really the focus for those first three or four years was just keeping my bowel and my gastrointestinal system working. Wow. And, and like I said, underlying all of that was I just had this, this, this ridiculous pain all the time. Uh, right from the midline of my abdomen, I, you can map it right down the middle of my abdomen over to the left. And if I still had my left abdominal muscles, that, that left rectus abdominis, the ones that gives you the nice six pack, mm -hmm. I don't have any of that on my left side. Tons of pain there, but I don't have that muscle. All this pain in my left abdominal wall around my side through into my back. I'm like, what the hell? Because they fixed everything. They've gone yeah. in, bolted it all back together. I had to have a big chunk of plastic put in my left abdominal wall because I don't have any muscles so that kind of helps hold all my guts in place oh, Whoa. Wow. and I'm like so I'm I'm bionic but I'm fixed why does it hurt what? yeah right right it, one of the other things that you said like early on was you were saying that you experienced uh neuropathic pain mm -hmm. can you give us a um a breakdown on what is neuropathic pain what does that mean sure yes and and interestingly enough I had no idea that I was living with neuropathic pain Till about 10 years ago when somebody said to me, you know, that's neuropathic pain. And, and that was about the time I started getting into my advocacy work. Mm. I'm like, oh, that's what it is. So um, typically neuropathic pain, uh, the, the definition through, you know, the science people is it's a damage or disease to your somatosaurus nervous system, but it's damage to your nervous system. And it causes typical pain such as burning a lot of burning, um, a, a terribly increased sensitivity to things like um, light touch. Um, so for me, 
Um, I always have to wear layers of shirts. Like I've got this sort of sweater on, but I have a t-shirt on underneath. And I do this in the summer. In Kelowna, when it's 35 degrees, mm. I always have a, a cotton t-shirt on to buffer my skin from any rough clothing. Mm. Um, the water, like I don't, I don't go in pools. I don't have a bath because just the the lapping of water in my left abdominal wall just hurts like a son of a bitch. Mm. Wow. So it's this burning, tearing, ripping, hot, sort of knife-like sensation um that's always there and for me my pain is like all people that live with persistent pain it's always there and then depending on what happens or what i do it'll go you know up or back down to its regular baseline but it's it's this con it's like if you've ever had a tattoo it's like constantly having that needle going at you that just never stops yeah Hi, I'm Jesse Crookshank. Jesse Crookshank. I host the number one comedy podcast called Phone a Friend. Girl, let's phone a friend. Not only do I break down the biggest stories in pop culture with guests like Dan Levy and members of InSync, I do it with my own personal boy band singing jingles throughout because it's my show. It's your show, girl. New episodes of Phone a Friend. Yeah. Drop Thursdays wherever you get your podcasts. So work it, girl. Yeah, work it. Okay, that's enough. The, the, uh, uh, Virginia was one of the guests that we mm-hmm. spoke to, Virginia McIntyre, uh, when we did the um, uh, Putting the Pieces Together conference for Pain Canada. And that was uh, something else that she, she had said. Um, uh, there was a specific word for it. I forget what the word was, but like basically pain from just simple touch. And, yeah. and yeah. you know, she was... Hyperallergia. Yes, that's it. That's yeah. it. And she was saying that her, uh, you know, just, just by, even just by wearing a shirt, like the shirt touching her on, you know, on like or her like scapula. Wind. Or wind. Yeah, exactly. Wind. Like yep. it, 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 yep. it, it's enough to cause pain, which is just such a fucking staggering thing to think about. And, I, I, you know, maybe we're getting ahead of ourselves here, but like, I, I just, I feel like I can't help but ask you, Keith, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, to be honest with you, Seven years of yep. doing this podcast, we've 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 had some gnarly conversations. Like we've spoken to people that have had gone through some really hardcore shit. Yeah, that's up there. That's uh, this is up there. Like that, that, okay. what, what you just explained <laughs> to us, I'm like, I, I'm I'm like, oh man, I feel like a little wheat, like qu- like queasy in my stomach. Like I, I just I can't. I it's really hard for me to to physically Im- mentally imagine what that physically mm. felt like. Um, and like I and and and. And like, I, I know, and, and just that experience of, of, you know, you're basically bleeding, you're bleeding out mm-hmm. when, yeah. and, and I've, I've been in that, I've been in a similar situation where I got hit by a car and luckily Ooh. I was not bleeding out, mm. but because my pelvis was broken and all the pain was in my pelvis, oh. they, they treated as, uh, they treated as you could be bleeding could out. Be. So it's yes. like, oh, so I've, yeah. I've sort of been in that, I've yeah. been in that experience where you're being treated as if you could be dead yeah. in a very short time. Mm-hmm. So we need to do, we need to get you to the hospital. We need There's to something. go through all of these, yeah. this like process of, of finding out whether you are. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's, it's a very, very intense it, process. Which, which leads me to asking, you know, mm-hmm. through all of that, you know, the, 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 the acute trauma that happened of the, of the, the accident, the, the, you know, the, the, the subsequent surgeries, the, the years and years of persistent pain 
what kind of effect has all of this had looking back? Like what kind of effect has this had on your mental health? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was, um, so I'd like to say I'm a, a well-adjusted adult human being. Now. <laughs> um, but looking back on it now for the first 18 years, cause I can sort of map uh, this progression where uh, after my car accident up to a point where I, I, I dealt with um, a medical, like I dealt with a doctor who who finally validated my pain. I stopped having this unhealthy relationship with my pain. So from the time I had my car accident till uh, the fall of 2004, I was always fighting my pain. I was mm. angry. Um, looking back on it now, I had a lot of these emotions because I didn't understand that um, pain is an emotional response as well. So I had a lot mm. of grief because as a kid, before my accident, you know, and, and sorry to hear about your terrible accident. I mean, that's, that's terrible. Uh, and I think we, at least for me, I have these, my life is sort of divided in pre-accident, post-accident. Sure. You know, before I had my accident, uh, if you asked me what I was going to be when I was growing up, I was going to be a cop. All I wanted to be it was sort of this sense of, you know, moral justice and do the right thing. And, uh, and, and then that was taken away from me. And one of the hardest things that I had to deal with was the fact that my car accident changed my life and I couldn't do the things I wanted to do. Mm. Um, physically, like to this day, I don't lift my left arm up over my head because after lifting my left arm up for about 20 seconds, it brings on blinding eye watering pain. So I had all this anger that I couldn't do what I wanted to do. And that anger was also founded not only in my accident, because Meldrum, you dumbass, you did it to yourself. Mm -hmm. You caused this, you mm -hmm. did it. I was so angry and I was fighting. So I kept putting myself in positions where I caused more of my pain. I mean, I was 21 years old. I was going through a point in my life where my pain, I was getting to a point where I was learning what my my regular pain was. So it sort of lived here, mm -hmm. not knowing that you would, you can just live with pain for your life. I was still looking for somebody to sign it, but I was so, so angry about not being able to do what I wanted to do to who I was. And I was going to show the world and me that I could do whatever I wanted that I couldn't be a cop because those days were over. And back in the eighties and the nineties, if you were a white guy, they were not recruiting police officers. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so I put in an application to the Canadian armed forces because I've always had this underlying sense of um, community service and all that kind of hopefully good stuff. And, and my application got accepted and I go for my medical and I'm sitting there in the, in the doctor's office and he's looking at my file and he's like, and he looks up at me and he's like, basically, wow. Yeah. And he says, like, how are you now? He says the words, how are you now? And I'm like, well, in this moment, sitting in this chair, having this conversation, I'm Okay. So I said, I'm okay. And he's like, okay. So he stands me off. <laughs> I get shipped to recruit, recruit school in it just not, well, kind of far from Halifax. It was back then it was in um, uh, Cornwallis, Nova Scotia. Oh, okay. Um, this was back in uh, 2021. And uh, yeah, you know, didn't go so well. Wound up having surgery because I put myself through so much stress in, in my military training that I wound up having surgery uh, in Dartmouth at the base hospital in Dartmouth. So yeah. I kept, doing this to myself and putting myself in situations because I was so mad at what was going on. And I kept, I had this unhealthy relationship with my pain and not, mm. not that I think we can healthy, we can have a better relationship with pain and not fight it. Like I, I was just, I was angry and yeah. I hadn't dealt with the fact that I nearly died and nobody ever said to me, you know, Meldrum, pretty traumatic event. And it might kind of mess you up a little bit. 
never talked to anybody about it. Never. Yeah. And I didn't want to, if anybody said, do you want to talk about it? I'm like, no, I'm yeah. fine. Yeah. Just, yeah. Just leave me alone. Yeah. And did, did you like when you were, I know that you had the experience with the doctor a few years after your accident, which I guess you would have been like 1920 at that time. Yeah. Where they, where he basically said, you know, you're, this is in your head, you're making it up. Yeah. Um, but up until that point and, and maybe in conversation with maybe some other healthcare people that took you a little bit more seriously, were you, were you prescribed anything? Like, was there, was there any, was there an attempt to manage the pain with medication or different things? And like, what, if so, what were those things that were being recommended to you to try and manage it? Yeah. Most of what we tried over the years, and a lot of this was me um, continuing to push, especially after my family doctor, you know, said, you're you're making this up. I kept, um, and when he said that, he basically said, I'm done with you. So no more. So I had to go out on my own and continue to find people who would help me. So what I went through for a number of years until 2004 were basically uh, needle interventions, so like different types of nerve blocks. I would find different doctors who would attempt to do these things. They would do them. The block would have a very, very minimal effect for a very short period of time. And then after a while, they would say, well, look, this really isn't effective. I can't really help you. And, and then, but they would just leave it at that. They wouldn't say, well, so you could try this or what about that? They would just say, there's nothing more I can do for you. So then I would go back out shopping for another doctor. Um, different times I was tried on different medications, um, things like gabapentin and some of these other things that mm. sort of have some effects for people. None of them had any effect on me. And I chewed Tylenol one, like it was Pez and yeah. it, it doesn't have a whole lot of effect, but in the absence of, of anything, you'll just try it. <laughs> yeah. You'll try it. You'll try anything. Yeah, right. Cause, cause, much. and I, I, I just looked this up after, after Jer asked that question. Um, cause it, it is an, it is essentially, it's a nerve. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a miscommunication between the, the brain and your nerve and your nerves. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, and, and man, it's, it's always really fascinating to talk about the things, especially something like pain. Cause it's like, it's something that everybody knows about. It's not like, it's not like it's, it's not like anybody has to think too hard about what it feels like to feel pain. I mean, right. you, you know, yeah. it in some experience, um, big or small, um, probably a lot, probably very intimately for, for most, for most people, I think for periods of time, but that there's like these things in the medical world that are just, we just don't know how to go about making it better. We just Mm, don't know how to go about making it better. I think about things about uh, the nervous system, neuropathic pain obviously fits into that, you know, things like how the immune system works, like these just Uh like things that are just a mystery to us, even in the face of like Mm. all of the crazy advancements that we've made scientifically and Mm -hmm. medically over the years that like there are just still so many questions about some of the most important pieces of our body and that mm-hmm. we just don't know how especially to when it comes to like it. how the brain relates to it you know yeah. like because it, you know that is pain pain's pain is the way that our brain is interacting with the rest of our body and you know yep. those signals go to the brain and we just they're like <laughs> if we if we didn't have a brain you wouldn't process those that's those, right those yeah, receptive yeah. pathways to your brain yes yeah so, what, um, what was the change like yeah. how did how did when you when someone said hey they, they, you know that's neuropathic pain how did that change the mm. approach and um, how you how you dealt with it, how you managed it, um, and and I guess what the what the medical world also how they ap- approached it once you kind of had a better understanding of more of what it was. 
Yeah, um, I, I like it, it's an interesting. I, I find it an interesting point because I think it's kind of a bookend to my 1989 sort of 1990. You know, Meldrum, it's all in your head. So 2004, I was I was actually referred to um, a program down at St. Paul's Hospital in Vancouver um, for something to consider something called spinal cord stimulation. And that came from, I was seeing a doctor in Prince George. I was having more nerve blocks done. He was doing what are called paravertebral nerve blocks. And if you're not aware of those, it's done uh, under fluoroscopy. So they need to image it because they have a needle, which I swear to God is about four feet long. Jesus and they're face down and they put it in your back and they go right into the root nerve. And that's where they put the, the block in. And it, I mean, that process alone is a little bit uncomfortable. I would mm-hmm. you hold on to the table. He'd put in the block. I would scream because it's just involuntary action. But same thing. I had that done about three or four times. Very minimal effect. And the last time the doctor did it, he was up high because I my pain's around in my sort of around my thoracic cavity. And he went a little deep and he popped my left lung and had a partial oh. pneumothorax. So I had a partial lung collapse. So then he's like, okay. Like I'm, these aren't really happening. And now I popped your lung. And he said, you know, first doctor though, first doctor who says, I think I've done all I can do. I, I, you know, I've harmed you. I don't want to do this anymore. You might want to think about this thing called spinal cord stimulation. I don't know. It might work. Long story short, I look into it, talk to my wife about it. Wasn't too interested. I was a little concerned about having stuff bolted into my spinal cord, but again, decide I need to try this because this isn't working for me. So I go and I get the referral and I'm sitting in, in like at the doctor's office or at the hospital, St. Paul's in Vancouver, and I'm going through the intake for this because they need to determine if you're an appropriate candidate. I'm sitting there talking to Dr. David Hunt and he's asking me all the questions about my history, which I've recited for probably the 50th time. Yeah. And you do it by rote, right? You've had, you got, you know, you've gone through the medical system yourself. You just, I had this and I did this and you're not even, you're not really engaged. You're just automatically saying it. Mm. And I'm not even looking at him. And all of a sudden I realized he stopped talking and I'm thinking, Oh, and I kind of look at him like, here we go again. They're going to say, Nope, you're not the right patient. Uh, you're making this all like, whatever you're making it all up. And he just, he put his pen down and he looked at me and he looked at me with absolute sincerity. And he just said, it's okay. We believe you. And it was mm. just like a, bang and hit by a truck and it's the first time somebody said meldrum your pain is real like really really validated it and that wasn't it's not like i woke up the next morning and went yeah, yeah i can deal with this that was the beginning for me to go down a path of learning to live better with my pain than this constant fighting i was doing because yes, right. in addition to doing the spinal cord stimulation which has had um some effect for me some people it doesn't do a damn thing others say rip it out I still have it in me. They also introduced me to the concept that pain is more than just biomedical, like that mm. your emotions get involved. And I fought them on that. I said, I don't believe you. And they gave me a, a tape, you know, to listen on relaxation, which I didn't till the last day I was in the hospital because I thought it was a bunch of bullshit. Mm. But I started to open my mind to maybe, maybe Meldrum didn't know everything and maybe it wasn't all about nuts and bolts and maybe I needed to listen to these people. Mm. And his validation allowed me to go and think a little differently. And that led me onto a healthier path where I'm like, oh, I get it. When I'm under stress, if I take a deep breath 
and just try to calm my nervous system down. Holy smokes, it actually does help reduce mm-hmm. my pain uh, yeah. a little bit. What, what an amazing example of how how important validation is for the management of our health. You know, like it's just it's a uh, it's it's an easy thing to kind of uh, shrug off and and mm-hmm. not really you know because because again like you said earlier it's it, we view medicine as such a such a scientific calculated mm-hmm. practice whereas you know that's that's the art yeah. that's where yes. that's where the art comes yeah. in that validation yes. right there yes. right yeah yeah that's that's amazing I I, 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 really, I would say it's the single most important thing for anybody that lives with persistent pain is to have somebody truly validate yes. that their pain is real. Yeah. It doesn't it doesn't mean they go, hallelujah, I'm all better. Um, but it helps them refocus all of this energy that they're burning up and wasting on trying to figure out what's wrong with them or mm-hmm. is it all in their head to like, okay, I I really have an illness. I have a disease in its own right. Chronic pain has now been identified mm-hmm. by the World Health Organization as a disease unto itself. Now they can say, I have an illness and now I can now I can be open to what can I do to help manage my illness yes. instead of um, fighting it or trying to find somebody to fix it. Yeah, which is, which is, you know, I mean, we've spoken to so many people over the years who have, <laughs> who find themselves in a position where they have something wrong with them, but they haven't yet spoken to a single specialist or physician that has been able to diagnose them with something specific. So it's like mm-hmm. there's this like medical mystery happening. And the amount of times we've heard from people who have expressed to us how receiving a medical diagnosis, just by getting a diagnosis, it's like one of the most life altering things when it comes to managing their disease, whatever it is, you know, it's yeah. it, it, just having that answer. Um, it, it's, it's, it's the one thing that, that in the very least it gives you, it gives you a roadmap. It gives you like, okay, this is where I'm at. I know where I'm at and now I can like see the path at least of like where I could go. Um, but not having that path and just kind of floating aimlessly, um, just kind of adds to all sorts of trauma. I I mean, is this, is this an example of like, I, I think it's, it's quite clear that persistent pain is a, you know, it's a biomedical issue. It's a, it's a biomechanical issue. But is, is this like the example as, as to how persistent pain is considered a biopsychosocial uh, element? And, and if you can, like for people who aren't are familiar, like what, what is psychosocial? Um, uh, what, is, what is the definition of psychosocial when it comes to our health? Sure. Um, I, I think, you know, sort of my experience and that of so many others uh, does sort of show how that, that pain is a biopsychosocial issue. And, and not being a, a psychologist or a scientist, my sort of explanation of the psychosocial aspect of it is, um, and again, I bring it back to all pain is biological, right? Like our, our thoughts or feelings and our emotions affect our body. So there's a biological response. So it, we have to be a little bit careful that we don't get too reductionist and put too many walls up. But the psychosocial, and then I add emotional, spiritual, all of that side of it is our pain is informed and impacted by our emotions our thoughts, our feelings, our social situation. I, and, and I don't want, I mean, the, the social aspect of it, I think is really important. I was fortunate, really fortunate that through all of my um, health journeys, um, I had a family that supported me. I always had a roof over my head. 
I didn't have to worry about not being able to feed myself or having no family to support me. I was a white male, because let's agree in this society, if you are not a white male, if you're a person of color or transgendered or marginalized, you are dealt with differently in the medical system. So I had all these things going for me, mm. and it still was challenging to deal with my pain. So when you start considering people's thoughts and emotions, like my fear and my anger and my grief, that absolutely fed into my pain. Mm. Um, if I had didn't have the social supports that I had, it would have been so much harder to deal with my pain. Um, when I talk about spiritual, I mean, some people, you know, whatever your beliefs are, it doesn't really matter. But I, I think all of us have some kind of, quote, spiritual connection, whether we believe in karma, God, Buddha, or just that when we die, we die. But it's still something else that affects our lives. And all of that little bits that come into it feed into this foundation that you're paying. And when those aren't managed or considered, they ramp up your pain. My, my wife used to say to me before I became enlightened about pain, she said to me, you know, when you're under stress, your pain gets worse. And I yeah. said to her, you're nuts. I said, to her, I actually said to her, this was again before I uh, pulled my head out of my ass. I said, there's no, uh, there's no relationship between stress and pain. Well, I, I couldn't be more wrong. That, that <laughs> is medically proven, right? I mean, yeah, it's a yeah. sympathetic nervous response. So things like starting to understand that lead to an ability for people to be able to help themselves. And when I, we talk about things like self-management or supported self-management in the context of the biopsychosocial framework, that's not to say the medical system has kicked the patient to the side and say it's up to you to look after yourself now. It's about understanding what it is that impacts my pain. So what can I do to help myself? Because I do have a responsibility. Once I've understood um, what I can do to help myself, now my responsibility is to do those things to help myself. Otherwise, I mean, really, that's on me. You know, if I have a broken foot, don't walk on your foot, dummy. And if I do, well, that's I'm making it worse. So when I, you start to learn what adds to your pain, if you can do things to kind of help manage that, then you can start to live better with pain. Yeah. And, and you can't, you just really can't downplay or miss the importance of, of the psychological. And for me, the psychological were the things that I talked about. I was mad because I did it to myself. Yeah. I was pissed because my life was taken away from me. I was going to show the world how tough I was. I wasn't going to let my... I remember standing in my parents' living room at 17 and saying to my dad, I'm not going to let my car accident define me. Well, mm. you know what? We all have points in our lives that are fairly impactful and they kind of, in, mm. sort of inform who we're going to be. Yeah. We, yeah. We yeah. Need you to get that under control. Right? Yeah. I'm, I'm glad that you <clears throat> like the, all of that was fantastic. And, and, and also the, the piece about the piece about spirituality as well in the, in the context of like, I think, spirituality is uh i think it, it's like it, it's a it's a very like loaded it comes it's a very loaded word for a lot of for yes. a lot of people but really if you, if you wanted to just be really simple about it and that it's like it's something that it's something that you hold a belief in that allows you to feel more grounded in the world that you occupy um, beautiful yes. whatever case <laughs> that may in whatever in yep. whatever way that might be um you know, me and me and and Jer and, and Brian, who's who's not with us today, our our, our third co-host. We all he didn't a, die. He's uh, <laughs> yeah, right. What thank I, God. I, okay. I, yes, I, I now I'm realizing he's no longer with us. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> I, I, I now anyway, realize <laughs> that how that sounds when you say that someone's not with us. Um, <clears throat> he's not with us today uh, yes. specifically, but will but what will be with us in the future? Um, we all have a background in, 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 in yoga. And so the, mm -hmm. and, yeah. and sort of like mindfulness in yes. mindfulness in yeah. general is something that 
what underlies the yoga practice very heavily and 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 then what underlies mindfulness is the central nervous system and and understanding like how mm. the way that you think and the way that you breathe and the way that you move and the way that you combine all those things together have an impact on your nervous system and yep. and when it and so I kind of like having this conversation I'm starting to think about like you know like while well, all these things are sort of they're coalescing together to inform the way that or to to help or to hurt the way that that I, I imagine neuropathic pain is felt because of the relationship with with the nervous system mm. and, yep. and, and sort of like just, just kind of just putting a like a little bit, just putting some, um, uh, just a little bit more emphasis on like how, like how important the way that we think and feel how, it, like how that has an impact on the way that we like walk through our lives. Yeah. Um, and, and, and how it can impact the way that you experience something that, you know, is you're feeling physically, but also is, is, is happening from a like a a mental um psychological uh and um kind of like mindfulness place yeah um it's like it's it's like how intertwined how intertwined everything gets and we were we were really lucky enough to to speak to uh gabber mate not that long ago and Mm. and Mm -hmm. and and his sort of he's he seems to be like shouting from the rooftops at how all of we we are treating you know everything across the board as these like siloed things when mm-hmm. everything is working together yeah. and treating yep. it as, as compartmentalized issues is not helping us get anywhere because we need to be, yeah. we need to be looking at it as a whole system because everything, the, the physical is affecting the mental and the mental, the physical and, and everything's together. As a, as a, you know, persistent pain patient advocate, I'm curious to know how getting into that advocacy work has had uh, an effect on the way that you manage your pain or if, if it has at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, um, it, interesting. I mean, my, my interest in getting into it was, like you said, I had to go through this whole process of, like you said, literally pulling my head out of my ass and figure out what I was doing wrong. And, and just, you know, just everything you said, like learning that breathing and movement, because, you know, I thought if I moved, I made it worse. So I started to figure out what's going on and I started to put some of these things into practice and I'm like, Oh, wow. My relationship with my pain is, is better. I'm not cured. It hasn't gone away, but I have a better relationship with my pain. And then I wanted to get to the rooftop and shout it and like, Hey, you know what? Like if if you start doing some of this stuff, you can have a better life. Your quality of life can be better. Um, So it was really important to me to find a way to, to make that happen. And, and my first interaction was actually, I reached out to pain uh, BC. I came across their website and I was like, Hey, uh, is there anything I can do to help? And six years later, I, I was on the board for six years and that led into this sort of focus where I really feel like this is something that I need to do. And it's important um, to me. And, and I do, I've said to people, um, I get as much out of it as hopefully I am able to provide to others because right. It, it still allows me uh, to learn and it's offered me opportunities to go. I mean, recently I've been very, very fortunate to connect with a, a team out of, of researchers out of McGill. I've co-authored a paper with them on persistent pain. I co-authored a paper with uh, a team out of USC and Stanford and Calgary. Um, I mean, uh, Hartford on, on pain. And so it, it affords me these opportunities to continue to learn and advance my own understanding which i can then bring back to people who like you guys are um you know kind enough to give me an opportunity to sit here and blab away about this so 
it's it's as healthy and effective uh, for me as it is, I hope, for others. Mm. I love that. Um, and this is something that is relatively new to me and I think to us in general, but um, we spoke with somebody not that long ago as well that had uh, that had been sort of like a patient co-author on um, yes. on on um, scientific uh, on scientific papers, and I, I just I love that. Like I yeah. I hadn't heard of it until we had that conversation with that woman who I believe is also from BC, um, and um, and I, I love that that there that that medicine and science is is making that inclusion. Yes. We've spoken a number of times at a at a at a uh, conference called spore and like some sub mm-hmm. um some yeah. sub uh um organizations that work with spore as patient oriented research yeah mm-hmm. and um like moving towards having research have more patients involved in it because ultimately the patients are the, the ones that are going to be receiving the treatments that come out of the research that uh that gets done yeah and um i just love that 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 they're that patients are being incorporated into um into research because like it's 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 going you're going to you're the ones that are going to get it. Yeah. 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 I, I was very fortunate. Um, and I, I've been selective in the past where I've been asked to, to, to participate in some things, but it's been uh, not really genuine. I would say it would be more of the like, Hey, you know, the paper says they need to have a patient partner. So let's check the right. box. Sure. Um, the, the, the two that I've had the opportunity to work on, and I continue to work with the team out of McGill. Our first paper was um, published we're working on this follow-up research project that will be a three to five year project, but I have never been treated as an equal. And I say an equal because they're, they're four PhDs, right? They're all these like extremely brilliant people. And the number of times that they just look at me and they say, yeah, but like, what do you think? No, no, like you need to tell us because you know, mm-hmm. but being treated not only as an equal, but as well, it definitely is an equal. This is part of the team. And even though they have all their you know advanced degrees, um, you know, people that live with pain have their own sort of yeah. degrees in living with pain. Yeah, and right. so that inclusiveness that was genuine really uh, was important to me. And uh, to to be able to be part of that and see, you know, research get published that actually, you know, hopefully has an effect is yeah. that's why I do this, because that's what feels really important to me to that and the opportunities to present and speak at um at universities where I can sort of catch some of the students going into the healthcare professions early yes, and talk yeah. about these things. Means which I, which I suppose also kind of reinforces that validation <laughs> in a way, you know, like even though you've yes. already received it, it's just the continuing of that validation, which again, continues to help you kind of manage your, your pain journey as you go along. Um, I, I would. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Keith, what, what, what would you say is the, this is a, a like a two part question that we, we typically ask most of our guests. What would you say is the, the biggest thing that your accident has taken away from you? Ooh, um, the biggest thing that my accident has taken away from me? Um, probably uh, still to this day, I struggle and fight with the fact there are things that I physically cannot do. And I had to deal with that throughout um, my marriage and raising our son. It was just something that I, I couldn't do. And to this day, I'm getting better at it, but still, I find it very frustrating and angers me that I can't do some things that I want to do. What would you say is the biggest thing that it's given you? I believe fully and truly that it's given me this completely different perspective on life and not to sound trite and like a Hallmark card, um, but I've come to appreciate a lot more what is, like how important life is 
and our experiences and the people around us. And even though this was my car accident wasn't exactly the best, the most positive thing to happen in my life, it has afforded me such a richness and positivity, including opportunities like this to talk to you guys that I will forever be grateful for that if I wouldn't have had my accident, I wouldn't be able to do this today. And it just, I literally feel it in my chest when I have these kind of conversations about the opportunity to connect and, and, and talk about these things. Mm. Well, Keith, uh, you know, we're, we're coming up to, uh, the end of 2022, mm-hmm. uh, very, very interesting year for mm-hmm. us over here at sick boy podcast. Mm-hmm. And I have to say that this is likely one of my favorite conversations we've had oh. on the podcast this year. <laughs> that was really, oh, that was thank you. Yeah, was Truly amazing. like just, just oh. really, really, really appreciate you taking time to sit down with us and share, um, what seems to be a wealth of knowledge, you know, like mm-hmm. you've, You've gone through a lot, but you've you've been able to take what you've been through and really run with it in a way that I think um, I think it's quite obvious that like like helps people. Um, and so so thank you. Like truly, this has just been such such a treat, an honor to have you on the show today. And we really really do value the the conversation that we've had. So thank you so much. Oh, thank you. That means a lot to me, and I, I really do appreciate this opportunity and. And to have you say that, you just, um, I really appreciate it. Thanks, Keith. Thanks, man. Thank you. Thank you. Well, there you go, folks. Hope you enjoyed that conversation. As always, we are coming at you Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. And if you are a fan of the podcast and you want to support the podcast, there's a number of ways you can do that. First of all, you can leave a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. We love reading them. You can simply rate the podcast on the Spotify mobile app, if that's where you're listening. Or if you want to join the conversation, hop on over to our Discord. The link is in the show notes of this episode. And uh, we have a lovely little community over there of sickos and non-sickos all hanging out, chatting. And uh, hey, you could even help produce the podcast over there if you want. You can, again, find that link in the show notes below. Sick Boy Podcast is produced and co-hosted by myself, Jeremy Saunders, Taylor McGilvery, and Brian Stever. The show is managed by Jeffrey Lonis over at Talent Bureau. The sound design of this episode is brought to you by Donovan the CPAP Morgan. And of course, the theme music is from the band Take Part. That is it for this week. I'm Jeremy, and this is Sick Boy. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.